0: Gotta
1: go quickly. It's a draw! It's a draw! And then she gets it back! Oh, oh you kidding me! And the Sunshine Coast Lightning
2: have achieved the unthinkable! Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Inner Circle Podcast. Sherelle McMahon with you alongside Bianca Chatfield. Now, B. I had to tell you, and I didn't mention this before Ooh. we came on air. Um, we've hit twenty five thousand unique listens, have we, on the podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So, thanks, everybody. Thanks. It has been, you know, we've been. Really pleasantly surprised, haven't we, with the amount of people tuning in and engaging with us in terms of what you want to hear about, what you've enjoyed, your opinions on our opinions. (laughs) Whether they're right or wrong. (laughs) And it's been something that I've really liked about having this uh, little podcast happen. Yeah, I agree.
1: You say little, but
2: uh, it's (laughs) quite extravagant. Um,
1: However, yeah, I agree. It's one of my favourite parts of the week is that we get to talk about it from our point of view and provide all these insights that we didn't realise... Uh, that other people don't really know, yeah. did we? Like we, d- and that's why it's great on Twitter. Everyone engaging with us and, you know, prompting us on questions to keep asking because we love trying to explore and find different guests and we've found a different guest this week too that we hope is going to be
2: as entertaining. Yes and we've been wanting to chat to an umpire since the start. It was one of the things that we wanted to get that insight of it because we always hear from the players and the coaches and you know the umpires played such a huge role in our game Uh, and so we are very lucky to have Michelle Fippard joining us a bit later in the program. So. Now, she's
1: umpired both of us yes, over the years. So oh, I,
2: we'll have to ask her what
1: we were like I'm to I'm intrigued. Do you yes, know,
2: we should ask I her. actually remember,
1: and oh, no. I was so obnoxious. <laughs> And it was either to Michelle or Sharon Kelly. I can't remember which one. I think it was Michelle. And because I used to come to training all the time. And so I got into this habit of, I thought I'd be really smart. And (laughs) I would get my three feet and I'd ask Michelle during a game, is that three feet? Like, so she wouldn't call me for obstruction. Can you believe I did (laughs) that? Did she respond? Yeah, she like laughed during the. G- I got a laugh out of it. Oh, like okay. it was all a that's bit of a joke. That, but then after is. the game, she said to me, Bianca, you can't I ask can't me ask that." that. <laughs> and I was like, "I thought I was just being clever." Oh, there you go. But anyway, I love that the umpires do uh, interact with us. You know, after games, mm-hmm. and so that we have got to know Michelle a lot over the years. Yes. And. Hopefully we'll get to know her a little bit more. Yes, that's
2: right. We'll ask her how she felt when you were being, being obnoxious. a smart little <laughs> lipping off on the court Did you there. never do anything like that, Cheryl? Of course I didn't. Oh No, I used to always say, is it just here umpire After I was given a penalty. After you like, knock somebody yeah. over. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, thank you, my my shot. Okay, uh. right here. Thank you. Uh, very, very sweet I was on court. Um, I don't know how sweet it was on court, though, uh, in one of the matches over the weekend. This has been one of the big talking points of round 11. Uh, the Giants versus the Firebirds. Mm. Um, It was a big one. Was it round 10? Have I jumped ahead? Anyway, doesn't matter. No, that was round 11. It was round 11. I thought so. Sorry, I'm questioning myself. The Giants and the Firebirds, it was such a tight match for for much of it. And the Firebirds really took it to the Giants. They haven't had a win yet, the Firebirds. So they are chasing that hard. And at times they put themselves into a really good position. But – Gee, it was they literally left blood, sweat and tears on the court. Gretel Tippett getting that whack to the face and Oh yes. It wasn't I a broken like nose that we accidentally we've heard. I don't
1: I think it was accidental. Did well, you looked, think it was accidental? Uh, yeah, it did yeah. look
2: accidental. I, mean, I the um arm did fly out, but it looked accidental.
1: The game was really odd to watch. I felt like there was no flow, you know, for either team. And it was really just disjointed and I think that's a lot of why bodies seem to be going everywhere. I don't know if that's the effect of the World Cup break and everyone's still trying to find their momentum and players potentially a little bit tired, but it was just a really odd game to watch. And what stood out for me, yes, it was really physical and sometimes dangerously physical. Um, And listening to Coxie and Sue Gordian on the commentary, you know, saying, whose responsibility is it? Mm. So if the umpires aren't necessarily pulling players off the court and the players aren't backing off, is it then the coach's call to pull the players up and say, pull your head in, we don't need that? Now, the, 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 when when they were saying that, it was prompting me to think about it because I thought, you know, there are some games, yes, I'm happy to put my hand up where I was overly physical to get a ball, but if you got the ball and you got the intercept, then it was almost just carry on. The coaches were never going to pull you up if it was in your favour.
2: Get you in trouble for actually getting your hands on the ball.
1: If you kept being out of play and you kept, you know, missing the intercept, then of course the coaches are going to pull you up on it. But Mm. if you're actually getting the ball, it's to the advantage of your team. So then that's when quite often I think the coaches tend to back off and not say that's what, that's from my experience anyway, that I used to find that on court and um yeah how do that how what do you what's your take on it whose responsibility is it when it 's getting out of control
2: well it 's a really interesting one, and we heard on in that game that Kim Jenner um, oh, sorry, Christiana Manawa came off the court at half time and said, you know, we have to get off the body, um, you know, stay in play. And then um, Gretel Tippett spoke about a similar thing. When So when they were coming off the court, they'd identified that was something that had to change in the game. We heard that the coaches were saying to their players, you need to stay in play, you need to get yeah. off the body. So it, in some ways that is being addressed. But Let's make no mistakes about it. When you are an elite athlete in any field, you are pushing. You are pushing yourself. You're pushing your teammates. You're pushing the umpires. You're pushing every boundary that you can possibly push. Mm. And so I think when you're out on the court and you're in the heat of the moment and you start pushing those boundaries and you go, oh, I got. Away with that one. Yeah. I might, that, well, that's my new level. And then maybe you take it one step further. Am I pulled up then? Oh, no, I'm not. Okay. Yeah. So that's my new level. So, of course, the coaches and the players have a responsibility to play the game in the correct manner. Of course, they do. And that's absolutely the first port of call for me. But in the heat of the moment, I definitely think the umpires have a huge amount of control over how the game is played. Now, in that game, there were some dangerous um, contesting for the ball. I mean, we saw Kim Jenner penalised 32 times, which is the highest of an SSN game. So far too much. So from a coaching and player perspective, that's too much to be able to play anyway. I mean, Mm. I don't really know what the benefit of that is. Um, But I think the umpires absolutely can play a role in behavioural change for the players. If they're penalising, if it's continuing to happen, they caution, they warn, the player's not going to keep doing it if they no. think they're going to be put off the
1: court. Well, that's right. And that's why I think we need to start seeing players be put off the court because mm. you're only going to learn your lesson once you are put off. Because even though we say 32 penalties for Jenna, she yes, she's out of play and she's not contesting and not getting intercepts because she is out of play. However, I remember watching you, Sherelle, when we were both on court together and I'd watch you down the other end of the court and people knew if they constantly contacted you, it didn't matter if they were in play or not, that constant contact on you wore you down Mm. mentally and physically. So it's still having an impact Mm. and it's still, you know, it's still putting pressure on players from the other team because you are constantly niggling at them. Mm. And I don't think that's fair either. Like I think that takes its toll. And
2: I really wonder if that's a tactic that the Firebirds went out with. I mean, we Mm. saw, a heard Rose Jenke telling Kim Jenner to stay in play like I don't actually think that that was a directive as no. such I mean we don't know we haven't been inside that but from hearing what they're doing that that's not what they went out there to do and um, the the players that she's playing up against and Joe Harton, she's a very clever player so yeah. she can draw that niggle and penalty out of players um, but yeah it was an interesting one for me but I, I do think that the there are many steps along the way that need to be addressed, but the umpires definitely play a role in that, in how they umpire and can control what the players get away yeah. with.
1: And throw some more cautions out in those first yeah, and second they do quarters. Get, they do
2: get a lot of heat for f- throwing cautions out though, don't they? Yes. From the commentators. But, and so that that's the other side of it. You know, then we've got, to be, oh, they're throwing too many cautions around. Yeah. So it is tough for the umpires to kind of find that balance. But I think there was a place for it perhaps in that game.
1: Yeah, well, I think for I think throw some cautions out, definitely if that's the way the game's going and that's the way the game started, but actually back it up and take people off the court mm-hmm. if it continues. Um but th- this is why it's the perfect timing to have Michelle part yeah, on I know. so that we can talk to her uh, and see what about her
2: that. thoughts are about that, like whether they do actually think as umpires that that is part of their role. Yes. in actually modifying the player's behaviour in a way or yep. whether they're just calling what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> it, it will be really interesting to you know.
1: <laughs> What about the game, your um, Vixens taking on Fever? Yes. I mean, it was a great win in the mm-hmm. end considering last time you took them on, it was a draw. Yep. But one thing that stood out to me and I'd love to get your insight in it is Mwai Kumwenda, yes. MJ, coming back after a knee reconstruction and, um, the crowd, the <laughs> girls, it was such a special moment. And it, I don't know, just the emotion around it. I just don't think I've ever seen anything like it with a player coming back from a 12-month injury. <laughs>
2: yes, and I uh, went over and tapped MJ on the knee uh, with, you know, about five minutes to go of that final quarter to say, MJ, you, we're putting you in. And she, the look on her face was like, <gasps> <laughs> oh she um you know once she kind of took a breath and got out there she took a couple of really strong balls and got some shots away so you know there's so many milestones and i know that you were having a chat to the vixens um s and c coach yeah physical prep coach um and one of the things you spoke about was that um, recovery from an injury and MJ has never experienced anything like that and perhaps coming from her background she hasn't seen that much yeah Um. and so you know she, she was experiencing that kind of for the first time and so to see her fight through all those challenges that have she's experienced over the 12 months and get back out there was a really special thing and everyone felt that I think in the stadium
1: yeah you could just tell and what Yeah, I thought was really great was one, how much all the girls got around her, but it's been the advantage of being able to have 12 players for the last couple of weeks where you've been able to Mm. gradually bring her back into the side. So now the Vixens have a lot of shooters. How do you go about (laughs) now (laughs) this week, we dropped down to 10 players in each team. How do you go about making that decision? Does MJ stay in the 10 now?
2: Yeah, well it's uh, a challenging one, certainly, because you you know, you've got a player with the calibre of MJ coming back in and without getting into all the, the Have you had selection outs, meetings yet? Is that Well no. We've <laughs> we've got our um our main training for the uh week this afternoon, quite conveniently for me. <laughs> so, you know, we'll we'll talk about how that final ten is gonna look. Of course we've got Inna Marie Fencer who has been out of the, the group with that calf strain that she received, so we'll have to get a bit of an update on how that's all looking and then uh, make some decisions. But, um, you know, there's some challenges ahead for for many of the teams. You know, I look at the Swifts too. What a great game that was with them and the Lightning. I mean, the Swifts just have this uncanny ability to cover injuries. I mean, they have brought in some fairly high calibre players. <laughs> players. Um, Katrina Rode, and we're trying <laughs> hey, to roll really the well? eyes. I'm not sure if I do, <laughs> but, you know, there's been feedback on Twitter about how we're pronouncing her name. Um, how she fits into the team. Mm. Kayla, Kayla Cullen is there, of course. So, you know, talking about the Vixens with their shooters, I mean, defensively, the Swifts uh, uh, have got a lot of strength up that defence end, haven't they? They do.
1: Nice little segue to get yourself out of answering that question. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you... See, you know <laughs> no, moving you well. <laughs> but, you know, even... I thought it was a great performance, a great game, the Swifts and Lightning. Mm. I, I, you know, just... I love that Lightning just find a way too. Like mm. I think we saw Carla Pretorius
2: back at her best as well. And, and interjection as a, as a contrast, eight penalties for the game, zero obstructions in her entire game. With the way she plays the game and her attack on the ball – her timing is impeccable. And yeah. her combo with Marwaney was really special. Isn't it great to
1: watch? And it just really stands out to me how strong they are. But the Swifts, to only lose by two goals, they lost Helen Howsby to a thigh injury. Mm. Hopefully she's back and out there soon they we say it every week they've just got very good team structures yeah, that do. it seems to be no matter who's coming in and out seems to be able to fit in and that's credit to Bryony Akel and Absolutely. what she's doing with that side um, because I can't wait to watch them come finals if they're you know can get back to a, a full strength and having everybody out there but Sophie Garbin I thought she did a good job
2: yeah she ran well having not spent much time out in goal attack <laughs> You'd <be> like, at <laughs> this level anyway yeah it's a bit of a <laughs> shock to the system when you have to run a bit further in any position really so she did really well um The other game, of course, was another draw. Can you believe (laughs) it? I'm getting used to it now. Yeah, well, you can believe it. Of course, it's another draw. The Thunderbirds and the Magpies, again, another stake in the heart of letting draws stand, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Surely we'll have an extra time come in. But I wanted to ask you about the contest between the goalkeepers in that game. Mm. Shamira Sterling, 11 gains, 5 intercepts, 5 rebounds. Up the other end for the Magpies, Jeeva Mentor, 12 gains, one more. Six intercepts to one more and five rebounds. What an outstanding performance! You must love that! <laughs>
1: I'm loving it. Defenders are dominating all over the competition right now. Uh, good. Uh, like, credit to Jeeva too, because I don't think we've seen her at her best. Mm. And I know that's really harsh to say, because she always seems to bring a good performance. She does. She's but amazing. She's just, I don't think we've seen her at her dominant best this season, and it's good to see her starting to find her feet. And Rob Wright actually even said that after the game, that, you know, she's been a little bit quiet, but she's also had a lot to deal with with the World Cup. So it's, <laughs> And her book. Yeah. She's and
2: been very book. busy promoting her <laughs> she's book. She's been promoting the book. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she's just been able to have a bit more rest Leap, time if now. if anyone and, wants to get it. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, available in all good bookstores, I'm sure. There you go, G. Bookstores <laughs> even exist. Oh, I don't know, actually, no, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> online, sure. So online, online. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sorry, Diva.
1: Anyway, it was great to see that. The thing, another defender that has been put into the spotlight has been Kate Shimon from the Thunderbirds yes. and has been
2: selected in the England Roses squad. Yes, yeah, so this is. A seemingly extended squad, I don't know, a twenty-seven Well, I, think I believe it was. they have
1: it two different categories. So there's P one and P two for their um training squad. So that would be kind of different payment contracts and expectations, I would imagine. Um I didn't even know she was eligible, did no, you? No, no, I don't I didn't, but
2: she's got a dual citizenship apparently. Good so, or bad move by the roses. Oh. Do you know what? It's a it's a tough one because she obviously hasn't been part of their pathway. Um, They've had great success uh, plucking Chelsea Pittman from the Australian system and Mm. taking her over there when she wasn't getting opportunities here. Um, I think for them, they they have every right and should absolutely scour the world for the best netballers who are eligible to play for England. Um, And if Kate Shimon, according to them, sits in that category, well, more power to them. I think... I, I actually do love the way Kate Shimon plays yeah. the game. She's she's so hard at the ball. She's kind of probably over the last 12 or 18 months maybe not had as many opportunities as we've seen in previous times. But I I, I think she's worth having a crack for sure because I think that she brings something a little bit different. And if you want someone to actually get out and win the ball, she's... She's she certainly that. got that mindset.
1: Yeah, and I I do agree with that. I I would be filthy if I was another English defender in the pathway and they just grabbed somebody <laughs> from Australia. But anyway, uh, put that aside. I think the, the hardest thing for Kate Shimon, and why I don't think we've seen the best of her in Super Netball is because her combinations for the Thunderbirds keep changing on her. Yeah, One tough. minute, you know, she's got Fee Themen with her. The next minute, it's somebody else. And then the next year, it's somebody else. And I feel like she's kind of just been pushed around a little bit and hasn't really been able to form a solid combination with anybody else. Mm. And if she got that combination right, she would be even more lethal, especially as a goalkeeper, because her vertical jump is one thing that really stands out and her ability to reject the shot, which... I love watching. I think it's awesome to see it. Of course you do. (laughs) Of course you hate it. I feel sick for the goalers every night. I'm like sucked in.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I love watching that because it's something different. It is. It's great. And, I mean, you know what it's like defending the shot. It's, It's so incredibly hard to get the timing right. To reject a yes. shot, so she so when you do, you should do a lap of the stadium because <laughs> it's hard work. <laughs> High fives from everyone in the stadium. Hey, the last thing I just wanted to touch on before we get onto our guest Michelle Fippard, as we mentioned before, is the shape of this top four. So at the moment, we've still got the Swiss out on top, then Lightning, then the Vixen, so they sit on 65 62. And sixty one points, so only four points separating those three teams. Um, then that fourth position is a really interesting one for me at the moment. The Giants have that over the Magpies mm-hmm. again. That's only by four points. I know. So okay, what what's your prediction? I think perhaps the top three. Barring anything crazy happening, a a set, they might jiggle around a little bit. Yeah. Who's going to take out that fourth position?
1: Well, just going on performances since we've got back from the World Cup, I'd have to say Giants. I just think they're playing a lot better. Magpies, I'm not sure what's happening, but the inconsistency just shines through every single week. One minute they're on fire, the next minute they're nowhere near it. Then they're kind of half-half, so... You know, I don't think Magpies are going to make that top four. I think Mm. it's going to be Giants. Um, But the Magpies have the team, and I think that's been the the biggest frustration is that they've got the team to do it.
2: That's right, and they've... You know, as you say, they've been a, a little bit up and down, but their up is seriously good, seriously so good. And Vixens, f- you guys still have to take them on again, don't yeah, you? Yeah, the last round, the is, last round. That- Vixens. But so, actually, the run home for the Vixens, and I haven't looked at the others, but is the Swiss this weekend? Sunshine Coast Lightning, and then the Magpies. <laughs> Whoa! So it's a, it's certainly not an easy run home uh, for the Vixens, but and and no doubt those gains will help shape that. Final Yeah, four.
1: and surely as a coach, though, you don't want an easy run no. into finals. You want the hard run. You yeah. want to play them all now, get a good look at everybody and know what you're going to tackle yeah, once that's you come right. into that's the finals. that's right. So you've
2: you've come up against probably what you'll see quite close to the finals. And, you know, it's kind of nice in some way to be in control of the destiny in a way, if you yeah. know what I mean. So we've, we're playing against those top teams. So if we can put out good performances, and I'm sure the other teams are thinking this too, yeah. you, you've kind of got control over where you head as you lead into finals. Yep. So. so
1: definitely I think the Giants are going to end up in fourth position. Love Lord, to you know. You're very
2: sure about that. Love to know your thoughts everyone on Twitter. Who's your top 4? Yes, let us know. Hey B, I reckon we should get into our guest, yes. Michelle Fippard joining Let's us just after this. to the Inner Circle podcast, Sherelle McMahon and Bianca Chatfield with you and we are really thrilled actually to be welcoming our next guest who is a bit of a legend of Australian netball umpiring. She's done pretty much everything there is to do. It's Michelle Fippard. Hi Michelle. Hi, Bianca. Hi, Sherelle. <laughs> so great to have you with us. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, oh, thank, thanks for inviting me on. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, are you? Okay, well, that's good. Hey, <laughs> <Well, laughs> let's good.
1: start off with talking well, I about
2: think so. <laughs> what was
1: life like umpiring Cheryl and I? Who was the biggest <laughs> pain in the butt? <laughs> Oh,
0: Bianca, be careful what you are. Oh, I thought you oh, were no. saying Bianca
1: and I was just
2: about to cheer. Oh, I'm pretty sure I was more painful than you, Cheryl. You were the princess. You kn- I never gave you a dirty look, did I, Michelle? Um,
0: oh, wow. It was a long time ago. We can't remember
1: that. I was just saying. Before- no, far too long ago
0: to remember.
1: I was saying before, Michelle, how I think I remember where I just thought I was, obnoxious being very obnoxious one game when I remember turning to you and asking you if I was three feet and thinking that I was being really funny and then after the game you're like Bianca you can't ask me that.
2: (laughs) Hey Michelle it is one of the things that I wanted to chat to you about the interaction between players and umpires Um, you know we've seen you a couple of times uh, this year pull players into line uh one of my favorites was when you told Helen Housby that you weren't interested (laughs) not interested goal attack and I just I'm like yes (laughs) I love that is that for you is that an important part of what you do oh
0: look I think I mean I think one of the really great things that we have in netball is that we do have a lot of interaction between the players and the umpires, both on and off the court. And for me I know it's something that I actually really enjoy about my involvement in the sport, you know, going into trainings, having the chats with the players, um, and developing those relationships. And to be honest, it makes I think everyone's job easier out on the court when you have that relationship where you don't always have to get formal about things to sort of ask players to, you know, get back into line and just remember what we're all out there to do. So um, for me, it's it, it's probably something that I enjoy the fact that we have relationships that allow us to do that. Um, I don't know. I've, I've had a lot of feedback and they're not interested. Um, I have to say it was one of those things that kind of just came out at the time Um I did show my kids the clip, and they all went, "Oh, you say that to us all the time."
1: <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> it was it was very mum voice, I have to say. But um, oh, look, I mean, luckily Helen took it in in the spirit in which it was intended, and we had a good laugh. But I do think that, um, you know, you know gen- and I mean, generally too, when when we sort of have a have a little word with the players and the court, quite often in the break, people will come up and sort of say, "Oh, you know, Michelle, I thought this or." Um, what's going on here. And we, you know, we have a little bit of a talk and we we sort it out. And I think that that helps everybody get on the same page so that, you know, expectations are clear because, you know, ultimately, umpiring is about communication. It's about managing the game and communicating effectively. And whatever helps you do that, you know, I, I think is the way to go.
1: We'd love to get an insight into your preparation and what an umpire goes through on a weekly basis. And I guess you touched on there, the relationships that you have with the players. And I assume, and obviously we know from experience, you know, how often are you in at training with the teams?
0: Um, well, I certainly in, um, in pre-season and early in the season, I try and get in more or less every week. Um, I have been in it both Swiss and Giants a bit this season, early in the season. Um, they've been actually training back to back at, um, at the New South Wales Nepal Centre. So it's been quite good. I can sort of go in and do some time with one team and then head down and do some time with the other. So that's, sort of nice to get across both teams because obviously different players, different dynamics, different coaches. So that's I always find that really interesting to see as well. Um, during the season, it's a little bit more tricky depending on travel schedules to get into the training sessions because obviously the team format varied during the week. Um, my format might vary. Um, this season, I, I haven't had as many sort of long trips. The last season, I think, you know, the first half of the season, I was in Perth every second week. So that's kind of... Um, eight into my recovery schedule a little bit because, as you both would know, it's um it's quite quite the trip to Perth. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> so really, um, I do try and get into trainings as much as possible. Um, quite often we get um, you know we have interaction with coaches during the week in terms of if they kind of want feedback about things, specific questions or specific clips. so we have that those sorts of interactions as well. So I guess that's sort of what we do in terms of working with with the teams and the coaches. And, players. and then as well as that too, obviously we have our own training, so our own physical training, but then also our own review processes. So um, we um, we have a coach at every one of our games who reviews our performance, so we get assessed on that. Um, and then we also have to compile our own um, performance review reports. Um, we do our own video analysis. We chat with our coaches during the week. So it's um, it's a reasonably heavy workload.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. It's great to kind of hear that. No Mm. doubt that has changed over your time in the game. I, I wouldn't have thought that that's the amount of time and effort you put into it. When you first began, we, we were actually just reading a couple of things before we came on air and you mentioned that you work with uh, sports psych as well in, in yep. your preparation. Uh, I'm interested in that mindset of an umpire because you are under just as much pressure as the players out there. How do you keep your mind in it? Is there, are there moments when you doubt yourself? How, how do you work through those moments?
0: Um, well, I think that that's probably one of the most important things you do with the sports psych, to be honest, yeah. because
2: um, it
0: is one of those things that hiring is very much a mental game. Obviously, you know, you need the physical training, so you're not worrying about whether you can make it to where you need to be when you need to be there. But um, certainly I think your focus and concentration is a really big aspect of it. Um, your mental strength, um, recovery from mistakes is a really, really huge one. Um, and also I think being able to make adjustments to what you're doing and not just in terms of the decisions you make when you blow the whistle but decisions about what you're doing in terms of you know your positioning and your timing and your read of the game you know if you feel like perhaps on on one run down court you haven't quite been where you needed to be what adjustments do you need to make so it's sort of this constant process of reviewing and adjusting so that you can you know do the best job you can. Um, In terms of I guess recovery from mistakes because, I mean, let's face it, we make mistakes.
2: Everyone makes mistakes. I'm going to clip Um, that up. That is an umpire admitting that, no. I
0: have never said umpires don't make mistakes. Um, But certainly, you know, you you make decisions sometimes when you're thinking, oh, I reckon that was dodgy. And you have to sort of you know, you have to have a mechanism for moving on. And the fact is once it's gone it's, you know, once you've done it, you've done it. And the important thing and I often say this to umpires that I work with as a coach is that one bad decision then doesn't create another five bad decisions because you're dwelling on the bad decision. Yeah. So you kind of need to, you know, have, have a mental mechanism to sort of, you know, pop it in a box or, you know, put it on the shelf and it's something that you review at the right time, which is, you know, after the game. Um, so I think it's about, you know obviously having good strategies for you know moving on from moving on from mistakes um, and I guess dealing with the the things that are challenging that happen out on the court because um, you know there are games different games present different challenges and so you need to have a variety of you know tools in the box to deal them as they
1: come up. Yeah, see, it's exactly like a player.
2: Isn't <laughs> it? Exactly. What exactly. You no, it is. And it yes. is. Move, move on from your mistake. Exactly.
1: I'd <laughs> love to know, Michelle, you mentioned before about the interaction with the SSN coaches. Do yes. they have a direct line to you? So say you've umpired a game on the weekend and there's certain things that they were concerned about or worried about. How much interaction do the SSN coaches get directly with you or do they have to go through a process to show you a clip and get your feedback on it?
0: Look, we do have a process where we have had in the past kind of quite a formal process around it. And I know that we, um, before pre-season, we had a meeting with the SSN coaches, so all of the umpire group and the SSN coaches. And one of the things we did talk about was sort of loosening up that process a bit so it didn't have to be so formal because as some of the coaches said, you know, sometimes we just kind of want to ask about some stuff and we don't want to have to go to the trouble of, you know, clipping together a whole lot of things <laughs> to send you and, you know, it seems really over the top and so one of the things we have talked about is, you know, having more informal discussions about, about, you know, just, just incidents or, I mean, mainly patterns of things. I think for the coaches, you know, the coaches are, I think, generally really, really good in terms of what they want from us is an understanding of you know, patterns of infringements or if a is consistently being penalised for something, you know, what is it about that particular action that we have a, a problem with so that they can make the necessary adjustment? Um, and so, you know, it might be something that they'll say, you know, here are some time codes and can you just have a look at that and say, you know, what part of that action is it that you have the problem with? Because to us, it looks like this. Um, and, you know, we can, have, we can have a discussion about it, which is I always find really useful because, um, you know, coaches and players have different perspectives on the game to what we do. Um, and listening to what their perspective about, you know, why something why something's significant to them can sometimes make you go, Well, you know, that's fair enough and I hadn't looked at it that way. Um, and similarly sometimes I think when we sort of explain to them how we said they go, Oh yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way either. So um I
2: think the exchange is really valuable. Yeah, no doubt. One of the games um, over the weekend has created a bit of discussion actually around the physicality of netball and long gone are the days when netball was a non-contact sport. Um, It's (laughs) semi-contact and perhaps at times it even goes beyond that. And um, one of the discussions that was happening around the Giants and the Firebirds game was whose responsibility is it when a game gets particularly physical um, you, we were talking about it before that, of course, it's uh, the role of the coach and the player to um, mediate their, their behaviours and how they're playing the game. I'm interested in how you view the role of the umpire in changing athlete behaviour when you're actually calling either contacts or when you take that to a, a caution or a warning.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that's a really good question.
2: Um
0: I would start by saying I don't think nepal has been in non-contact sport for a very long time. Very, very long yeah, long yeah. Long. <laughs> including when you two play. Um, so I, I think that <laughs> remains a bit of a myth. But at the same time, I think that, you know, obviously the whole thing about super Nepal is that it is, you know, it, it, it's essentially your, your premium Nepal league in the world. And, you know, you're dealing with the best athletes who are constantly pushing the boundaries. And um, it's interesting... My, my very good friend and colleague, Mark Henning, describes it like, you know, two Formula One cars in a race and, you know, you've sort of got these finely tuned machines travelling at, you know, 300 kilometres an hour and you're trying to sort of allow the spectacle to happen but at the same time, if it goes wrong, it can go very horribly wrong. <laughs> yes. So that's um, a good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's a really good analogy, you know. we And part of our job is to try and allow the spectacle but also to try and prevent the disaster <laughs> at yes. the same time. Um so i think certainly the way the game is played you know it's primarily about the players and the coaches in terms of i guess that legitimate striving to you know do you know to to play to the full extent of your skill within the scope of the rules and i know it's often said that you know the best umpires are umpires you don't notice and i think that's very true in games when everyone's playing within the rules but you know if the rules are starting to be pushed or broken and in particular, if safety is starting to become an issue, that is, I think, where umpires need to be stepping in because, to be honest, that's our job. Our job is to keep everyone safe. So um, in terms of, you know, making that decision to formalise your management, and I think that's something that we certainly try to do after we've used all of our other tools to try and affect the change in behaviour in terms of, you know, penalising, in terms of changing tone and, you know, maybe saying to the player, you know, that's, you know, that's a lot of contacts or that's becoming persistent or whatever the case might be, um, there is a need to escalate. And then, you know, if you have a situation where you do escalate and the behaviour still doesn't change, then that's when we need to go through a formal process. Ultimately, we can, you know, take the steps to invite the player to change behaviour, but if a player doesn't, then, you know, there's, there's a path that you have to go down and, and you don't necessarily want to. Um, I mean, we had the instance in World Cup. Um, Mark and I did, where we ended up just, you know, ordering a player off for the rest of the game. And I mean, that was really an instance where the player had every opportunity to change the behaviour, and it just didn't happen. So we really didn't have a choice.
2: Yeah. Uh, did you? I'm I'm interested if you saw the game on the weekend. It was a game where one of the players had um, a record for SSN penalties, 32. Do you think enough was done in those moments? You know, you speak about reviewing games. Do you do you think that upon review of that game, there might be a case for saying perhaps we should have escalated things?
0: Oh, look, it's hard for me to say. I wasn't there. I didn't do it. Um, And, you know, that's a tricky question for me to answer, as I'm sure you well know. So... Look, I mean, certainly the umpires will go away and they will review that game and they will work with the coaches. And, you know, certainly always when we look at games, we look at where we could have done things better. So I'm sure that will
1: happen. Oh, send some more plays off, Michelle, I say. <laughs> now that I'm not out there, send and them I'll off. I tell
0: you it's not pleasant. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's it's, it's not an enjoyable thing to do. No, and, and, and um, I was just going to say, Michelle... It's not Michelle... something we go out there to do. It's no, and... Say, oh, the umpires are getting too involved. We don't want to get involved. No. Our, our my... My preference would be to blow my whistle
2: for a centre pass and, and run backwards and forward. That would be lovely. <laughs> that would be all you want to do. And, and that's, <laughs> it's actually a really good point that you make. You know, the, the umpires aren't out there looking for chances to caution players or send them off. So I guess it's that fine balance of allowing that to happen but actually controlling games and creating yeah. an environment where you've got a good spectacle that's not too marred by, you know, so many stoppages in play because the whistle's being blown so often.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's the thing. I mean, you know, ultimately, you know, you don't want to have to be blowing the pee out of your whistle all of the time. And, and so it's, it's about striking It's about striking the balance. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately, there's only so much we can do to get players to change their behaviour. Um, and we need to, you know, obviously use, use the tools we have. But then if we don't get the responsiveness, then... I think, you know, that, and that's one of the things where, you know, the relationship and the interaction does come into play, that yeah. if you do have a good relationship with, with the players and, you know, you actually often don't need to escalate it because you change the tone, you make some eye contact and, you know, they kind of say, oh, OK, I need to back off. And, you know, you, you, you get that change. And I think that that, you know, is, is one of the important things about the better the relationships you have, the more likely players are to respond to you. Yeah. Um, which is a challenge you have when you know at something like a World Cup, where you're umpiring players who are less familiar with you, less familiar with the style of umpiring, um, and you know aren't as responsive. And that's that's where it becomes hard, and you have to work a bit harder to try and get them on board.
1: When you are umpiring super netball, and you know, say you ump- you know the players well, you've had them for years. When you go to a game, is it hard not to? look out for what you saw them do in the game previous and, you know, be kind of more attuned to seeing that in this, in the the game that's coming up? Does that make sense? So, like, you know, if there's... A- no, no, it
0: does. It does. Um, I guess it's one of those things that you go out there taking each game on its merit, but at the same time, you know, as as I guess players do when they prepare for matches, you know, you you have a certain amount of knowledge in the memory bank about the way that certain players play and the things that certain players do. So I don't think you go out there necessarily looking for specific things to happen, but... I think you have an awareness, so you know you yeah. see a player going for the ball with one arm, and you go, mm, "Where is the other arm? <laughs>
2: like Why didn't she jump?
0: <laughs> <laughs> player not go for that? Oh, because someone's hanging on to them.
1: Never. <laughs> <that's> <that. laughs> uh, also, how beneficial is it for the players? and for you during a game when the players approach you at quarter time or half time and, you know, want to bring up something that's happening, want to make you aware of something that's happening uh, on the court?
0: Oh, look, I mean, sometimes, to be honest, it's actually very welcome because sometimes I come and ask something, you'll go, oh, good, I'm glad you're asking me that because, um, you know, there are are aspects of it you'd like to explain. I I mean, I, I personally welcome it and I think most of the umpires do. I think it is better for the players to come up and have that conversation about what's happening. If there's something that's frustrating them, that they feel isn't being addressed the way they would like it to be addressed, or if there's something they're being penalised for that they're not quite sure what you know, what's wrong with it, or whatever the case might be, I, I think it's much much better for you know the captains come with the player concerned and say you know can you tell us what's going on, um, and then we can. We can have that conversation. I think I think it's much better. I mean, obviously, at times, there are elements of, you know, planting the seed in our heads about things <laughs> that might be happening. I, I think we're all very aware of that. But that said, I'd, I'd kind of prefer the conversation to happen them for sort of frustration to build because I think that's sometimes where the niggle begins.
1: Yeah, I really enjoy, especially in my position on the sideline with the commentary, I really enjoy watching those conversations take place because I think the umpires put on the greatest act in that, yeah, we're really concerned. (laughs) Yeah, we can, you know, and the players are so emotional because you can see they're either being thrashed and they're trying to like get you to help them (laughs) and you guys are just so nice and explaining it all to them. I wish we could get the camera and mic involved in those
2: conversations far more often than we do (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure Michelle probably wouldn't want that to happen hey Michelle before we let you go I've just got one question we we often speak about this and one of my pet hates is that when the athletes well when there's wants to be an inter interchange that the um the players have to pretend that they've got an injury I'm not sure if you're aware that they do this (laughs) oh um (laughs) Yes. What, is that, is that, a, is that not the oh, what's the injury for where you know full well there's no injury? Is that a weird feeling? And also, is there a rule that we currently have in netball or in SSN that you would like to see changed?
0: Well, that, that's interesting because those two could really go together. It was actually <laughs> a bit of a hot topic at um, at World Cup because oh. um, obviously without timeouts because often in SSN um, the whole fake injury thing gets dealt with through a timeout these days yes. rather than an injury. Yeah. Um, you know, there were a lot of fake injuries. And, I mean, you know, we all know that they're not injured, um, but we have to go through the whole shroud of going, oh, what for? Oh, your finger. Oh,
1: what <laughs> Can you ever say
0: No. I have said no one time when, when I said what for the player wasn't able to tell me what for. Oh, okay.
1: All right. Oh, come on. Come on, players, just, be quicker.
0: Uh, Bingo. Yeah, exactly. You kind of have to have it prepared. That's, that's my <laughs> hot tip. Um, but, yeah, I have had instances where the players just looked at me blankly and I've gone, well, no, you can't. You have
2: help me you out here. You actually have, have to get. be injured.
0: <laughs> you do have to give me something. So... Um, But one of the things we spoke about quite a lot, um, well, a lot of people asked about is, you know, do you think that with with all of this, because everyone, you know, it's a bit ridiculous, you know, should we look at something like rolling subs? And um, rolling subs was something that we tried in our our second tier competition, so our um, Australian Netball League competition. And, you know, it was very seamless and I think it worked really, really well. There's sort of minimal disruption to the game. There was minimal disruption to the umpires or... I don't. I don't think there were any sort of infringements related to it in terms of people going on at the wrong time or running in front of the umpire at the wrong time or things like that. Um, and I, I kind of think I would kind of like to see that happen. To be honest, it would get rid of this sort of charade of pretending that you're injured when you're really not, um, and it would allow those substitutions to be made. and you know, it has the potential, I guess, for coaches to use it in, a, you know, in terms of using an impact player, in terms of being able to respond more quickly to shifts in momentum and things like that in the game. And, um, yeah, for me that's something that I wouldn't mind seeing brought in because certainly the trial at ANL was quite successful and I think it showed that, you know, it's a, it could be quite a good addition to the game.
2: I'm with you. Bring on the roll <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: and in in And in international netball, do you think times have now moved on where we need to have Australia umpires umpiring yes. australian games so
2: hard because I, I
1: feel like it's quite offensive to you as umpires that we we're, we're saying well you can't possibly be neutral when you're umpiring australia versus new zealand like i feel like surely now we've got to go it needs and, to happen we're, and
2: surely we're at a stage where we we've got the world's best athletes as you say michelle f1 cars are running at each other you want the best umpires in the world officiating in those, those top matches
0: yeah, I mean, look, it's a hard one. I think it often comes up around World Cup. I mean, I will say, you know, there are a lot of really good umpires from other countries. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't want to... I mean, no. I, I, I want to make that clear. There are really good umpires from other countries. Yes. And um, I do think it raises a question for, you know... And, and it comes up every World Cup, and I kind of wonder that whether enough gets done about it sort of in between the next four years when the whole same thing gets said again. Um I do think more needs to be done around umpire development internationally and Mm. I think in particular in in the instance now where you have you know eight um eight out of the top eight countries you have four African countries but only one of those has actually got any international umpires in it um you know and it 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 has to be I think a big disadvantage for your countries like Malawi and Uganda and, and Zimbabwe because they come to events like this and the umpiring is really tough for them because it's obviously very different to what they're used to. And so I think we we need to work on how do we kind of get umpiring on board in terms of operating hand in hand with player development. Because ultimately your standard of play can only improve to the extent that your umpiring allows it to. Um, and so I think that you know we really do need to, to look at that. Um, In terms of neutrality, look, I mean, there are lots of elements that go into the whole neutrality rules in all sports. I mean, I know it's been a bit of a debate about cricket this week Mm. with the Ashes because there have been a lot of errors made in the Ashes series and they have neutral umpires and it's a bit similar in terms of, you know, in their top 10 of their panel, most of them come from Australia and England, which are the competing countries and therefore they can't be allocated. So I think that, you know, obviously, though, there there are issues about putting non-neutral umpires on there in terms of perception of bias. And, you know, it's something where, you know, an umpire makes the wrong decision and the wrong decision might just be that, a wrong decision. But because that umpire is from Australia or New Zealand or England and that team's playing, all of a sudden it becomes an issue of bias rather than an issue of just a mistake. And um, there is kind of a need to, to protect umpires from that sort of thing because, you know, umpires cop enough slack anyway. So yeah. I think it's a really complex issue, but I think the the first port of call for INF really needs to be about how do we work on developing umpires in sort of, you know, all countries, but in particular in those sort of top eight to ten countries?
2: Yeah, well, it's certainly a challenge ahead, no mm. doubt, for netball internationally on Every front on every facet of netball is improving um, players, umpires, administration from all those uh, different countries. Michelle, it has been really insightful to chat to you today and we really appreciate your time. Before we let you go, congratulations on officiating in your 100th National League game, which happened a little bit earlier in the year. We're um, really thrilled that you, you still continue to be involved and we've really loved chatting to you today. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks a lot for having me. Well, Bianca, as we say goodbye to Michelle Fippard, what a great chat that was. I, I mean, as we've always said, this podcast has been about having discussions about different um, issues that are coming up but getting different perspectives on things. So I think it was really fantastic to get that insight from an umpire's perspective. I agree. And, you know, just I've got that much respect for the
1: umpires when you hear, yes. you know, what they go through, their decision-making, their preparation, you know, it's just like playing the game and I think sometimes we forget that because we're watching the game so emotionally and yes. we do
2: forget that they're doing a job and they have to work very hard at it. That's right. And that mental side of things too, obviously just as important for the umpires as it is for the players. Now, B, we're into round 12. There's only three rounds to go. Can you believe it? And know, there's a couple of flying. huge games this weekend that will absolutely shape this final four. Yeah. Um, the big one that the Melbourne Vixens, my girls, are involved in, obviously against the top of the table Swiss. That's in Sydney, so that's going to be a interesting to see what the makeup of the ten is going to be. <laughs> who's going to be in? Who's going to be out? Still giving me nothing on it's that. Still giving me nothing on that. And yep. um, yeah, so that's obviously a big one.
1: Yeah, and then actually before that game, Giants are taking on Lightning. Yes, fourth
2: versus second. Fourth I'm versus fascinated
1: second. to see how this plays out. I have a feeling Lightning are going to win it, right. but
2: the way Giants are playing, anything can happen with them. Yeah, and of course we've got the Firebirds and the Thunderbirds, and I mean, you know that that'll still have some heat in it because those teams, although they're probably they're not vying for finals position anymore. Firebirds want to win, they, <laughs> they want a win, so they'll be they'll be gunning for that. So that could have a lot of heat in it. That one, and then of and course. and then you've got Fever Magpies, uh, yeah. which I mean, another, going on how they've that could be
1: another draw, to be honest. Yeah, the I way know. things are going, Oh, don't even say it. Um, um, let's thanks everyone for our five-star ratings too on iTunes. We've had 121 so far. However... 120 have been five-star and we've had one four-star. I know.
2: Yeah. We've had one. one someone's taken anyway. a star off us. What's going on there? What? Yeah. Apparently well, I'm going to call her. They actually. only liked Nat Medhurst's interview. Oh,
1: yeah, apparently. that's but it. But anyway, no, never I mind.
2: Never mind. We'll keep working on it. Yep. Going for, yeah. for all five we'll stars. keep improving. <laughs> so you can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, and on the podcast page of the RSN website. What's B? the website, Sherelle? rsn.net.au, B. Yes. yes. Good work.
1: You've nailed it. Doing all the right <laughs> things. Um, <laughs>
2: it's been another fun podcast, B, and no doubt there'll be another issue or many that we'll have to chat about next week and I look forward to doing that with you then. Me too. See ya.